there will always be successful good brokers in bad markets because when there are bad markets if people are going to list they're going to go to the best so those people will do well regardless so the question is this how do most agents find the secrets to succeed in today's competitive real estate market especially when the top agents are keeping those secrets to themselves that's the question and this podcast will give you the answer hi i'm aaron amuchastegui and welcome to real estate rockstars Real Estate Rockstars, this is Aaron Muchastegui with a quick commercial break with one of our newest sponsors. I'm super excited to be partnering with these guys. Does 15 to 20% ROI investing in turnkey rentals sound attractive? Did you know you can use the Burr strategy with new construction that has immediate equity already? You guys have heard me talk about stuff like this. Rent to Retirement offers fully turnkey properties that are newly built or renovated, leased and managed, allowing you to invest with confidence out of state. They have single-family, multi-family, new build, and syndication opportunities across multiple markets that maximize cash flow, appreciation, and equity. Rental Retirement assists investors in learning how to build a comprehensive business plan with the best investment and tax strategies to achieve financial freedom through real estate investing. There's no excuse not to get started in real estate investing when you have the right team and system in place. To learn more, visit renttoretirement.com. That's renttoretirement.com or call one 800 311-6781. That's 800-311-6781 to learn about how you can get started investing in some of the best cash flow markets today. You know, and if you guys want to learn more about Zach, episode 1025, we dig in for a good 45-minute interview where he tells you the secrets to investing in real estate out of state. And him and I shared a lot of ideas about what works and what doesn't. You'll get to hear a lot about his company and his business. You know, if you're an agent from out of state and you've got referrals looking for stuff, they work with other agents on a referral basis. And we've talked so much since COVID hit that everybody needs to have a backup plan, right? Every one of you agents needs to have a backup plan. You should all be investing in real estate. And if you're having trouble finding the time and the team to do it, maybe something like rent to retirement is the solution for you. So thank you for listening. Go check them out. Now back to the rest of our podcast. All right, we are back here again with Real Estate Rockstars. I'm your special guest host, Stephanie Brackett, who's with you today with the lovely Jessica Peters from Brooklyn, New York. How's it going in Brooklyn today? It's warm and muggy in Brooklyn, but a beautiful day. That's funny. You know, I never, I've only been to New York um, recently, like the past three years, I've been three years in a row, and I never thought that New York was a humid place. And I got there and I was like, what is this humidity? It's a, it's something that's a little newer. I'd say as of the last 10, 15 years, we've started to kind of um, drift into more of a tropical, humid environment. I don't know, a bit of a warming, something, but it's gotten very humid here over the last 10, 15 years. I certainly don't remember it being like this when I was a kid. That's awesome. So if anybody's looking for a tropical vacation, they need to add Brooklyn, New York to their Tropics list. of the East Coast. That's awesome. Awesome. <laughs> well, tell me a little bit about your real estate team 
team and just kind of what's going on with your business recently as far as volume, units, all of that fun stuff. Sure. So there's nine of us, um, not including the marketing team. So we also have a marketing team. We have an operations team. And then there's six agents, including myself. Um, This has been a stellar year for us thus far. Um, So since January for 2022, we're looking at approximately 150 million in sales volume and approximately 3.4 million in commission. And I'm not even halfway through the year. So very excited about that. High five. That's awesome. What's your average um, purchase price running up there? Um, It's probably somewhere between 1.5 and 2 million if you're doing the average because we do a ton of volume. Um, And I say to everybody, I treat every transaction the same, whether it's 500,000 or 500 million, we service everybody. That's awesome. Can you get anything in Brooklyn for 500000 Does that exist? Um, starting to change. Last year, you used to be able to get a one-bedroom for like five fifty. Now that's kind of teetered into the studio, but that $500,000 price point is likely going to disappear over the course of the next few years. So very, very interesting to see how the market goes. That is interesting. <laughs> Have you guys felt any sort of a shift at all recently? Have you noticed a shifting market? So the market is still very strong here, but we are um, finally starting to um, come to some challenges with what's happening in the stock market and the rising interest rates. So, you know, just this past week, I launched a new building and I had three full asking price offers on a condo, no concessions. People were willing to bid over the asking price. And when they went back to solidify their financing, they either found out that their stock portfolios had dropped so drastically that they don't qualify for the same rate or that their bank will only extend their rate for another 30 to 60 days, which would make it not applicable to our project because we're not going to be closing for about 90 days. So those three deals just... Wow. Mm -hmm. Wow. And we'll probably see a lot more of that as interest rates continue to creep. A lot of people are reevaluating. I have another building. Thankfully, it's going to be closing before the interest rates expire. But um, I had a client uh, lock in their rate so low that if they don't get to take advantage of this late uh, rate lock, the amount of interest would increase by another $700,000 over the course of the loan. And they were just like, we can't do that. And I was like, I totally get it, but don't worry, we're going to close it. So we don't need to talk about that. Wow. Wow. Well, well, that's interesting. Let's, let's shift into development because you do a lot with developers. So let's talk about that. What does that look like? So um, I am predominantly a listing broker. About 84% of my sales um, over the last year were on the list side. And I'd say 90 to 95% of that was new development. Wow. Okay. Mm-hmm. All right. I've been doing it for a while. Um, I came to Brooklyn in, in 2008, just as kind of things were sh- um, shifting in the borough. But at the same time, it's when the market crashed. So I, I literally had to learn how to do everything from rentals to condos to co-ops. And you know, I got lucky and tripped and fell into new development. So um, I've just been doing that for the last, I don't know, 13 years. That's awesome. If someone was wanting to get into new development as part of their portfolio of things that they do in real estate, where would you give them advice to start? How would they start that? So there's a couple of different ways that you could approach that. It just really depends on like the type of person you are and what ultimately, you know, you're trying to achieve along the way. Um, So what I did is I worked for a top producing team in Manhattan um, when I first got out of college and I worked as an admin. That team specifically specialized in new development. So behind the scenes, I got to see all the ins and outs of how it worked. So when I went from working in the city to working in Brooklyn, I was like, wow, this is really cool. And I started calling all of these New York... um, they have these signs on 
the exterior of the buildings that have like the contractor's name, the builder's, uh, the builder's name, the departments of buildings information. It's basically like a license that allows you to know that the permit was approved for demo or construction. So what I used to do back then is I just used to call everybody and say, Hey, do you have a broker? Um, and because it was much less competitive, I, you know, learned how to become the big fish in the big pond when nobody wanted to swim there. That's super awesome. And, and mm-hmm. just reaching out. I mean, we said earlier, right? Real estate is a contact sport. You have to be willing to make the contacts and you weren't afraid to pick up the phone and call oh, no. these people. No. What and was I, your script? Like what, what was the script you used? Oh to God, find, like, I had a horrible life? script in the beginning. Like I would just call people and have no idea what I was doing. But you know, the cool thing was that a lot of these developers who were just getting into the borough, we were very similarly aged and they were also you know, novice developers. So fortunately for me, I got to learn the process with somebody else who was on the flip side of that, but just in the development world. So I got to grow and learn with my clients. That's awesome. I was very fortunate. Um, You know, the people I was reaching out to were not like, you know, really big names at that point, because I knew that I needed to get some sales under my belt before I started to approach the big ones. <laughs> you didn't think you were going to be a multi-million dollar producer on day two of real estate? Oh, God. <laughs> I mean, to tell you how disappointed I was in the first three years of the business, I made $11,000 in my first year. It was torture. Wow. Um, and I had everybody telling me, oh, you should find something else. Are you sure that you want to do this? And I didn't listen to anybody. And then five years later, you know, I created my client base. I finally got like top three in Brooklyn and then it just all went up from there. So it so goes awesome. to show you persistence. Persistence is key. A hundred percent. People always give up right before they're about to get that breakthrough. Yeah. Just- you got to go out of your comfort zone. I like to do things that make me incredibly uncomfortable because one, then I'm not so uncomfortable the next time I have to do it. And two, it just shows me I'm more capable than I gave myself credit for. I love that so much. That's awesome. Well, let's switch to talk about um, your systems. Like what systems are you using that are producing results for you? So I'm very data-driven and we've created all of our own systems. So I have this... I have this massive document in our OneDrive called our master doc, and it has every single property. It has every single list date, every single contract date, the splits, when we're closing. I have everything down to the T in there. I also have, you know, lists for prospecting. We also do data shares or we're trying to do data shares with other top producers so that we can have more accuracy in terms of comping projects because, you know, there's a ton of stuff that's available in Manhattan in terms of like contracts contract signed reports, but since Brooklyn has, you know, really only started to, I guess, be comparable in terms of price point and desire to live here with respect to Manhattan over the last, I don't know, 10 years, that we don't have the same access to data that Manhattan agents do. Um, So we are creating that for ourselves, um, which has been a long and grueling process, but basically recording every single piece of data so that I can make reference to it. I know how many deals I did on the sell side, on the sales side, what percentage off of the ask. So having all of that information readily available, knowing what the averages are in your area, like price per square foot, that's one area that I'm, I'm, I'm very, very good with. I could probably quote you price per square foot in any single, any area in Brooklyn without looking at a piece of paper. That's awesome. That's yeah. awesome. And I always say d- data leaves clues, right? If we have enough data, we can make predictions. 
We yeah. can figure out things that we would have no, not normally been, and we can make really good decisions because we're basing Absolutely. our decisions on data. So and you know, fun. one of the fun, one of the silliest things and the easiest things that people could do to be successful is at open houses. I, I I so frequently don't you know see agents writing down all the information or just asking simple questions like, "Hey, where are you coming from today? How long have you been in the market?" You know, just trying to break the ice a little bit and. I take all those little nuggets, I write them down and we create these awesome demographic reports based on the neighborhood. And I'm like, these are the types of people that are coming here. And these are the types of people that are coming to this neighborhood. So I could say, hey, these share similar qualities. Maybe these two neighborhoods would be interchangeable. And I can tell this client why and check out this property. So it's really just thorough data collection and paying attention to the data. Um, and then you can use that to your advantage in several different ways, whether it's getting a price reduction, whether it's being aggressive in the market and making your seller feel comfortable about it. Um, it's, it's just, it's incredible. That's awesome. And I mean, everybody who's listening needs to make sure they write that down. They have to understand <laughs> that they cannot right. make good decisions without data. You have exactly. to have data. Absolutely. A hundred percent. Okay. So what advice would you give yourself if you were, if it was 11 years ago and you were a rookie agent again, what advice, knowing what you know now, what would you go back and tell yourself? I would tell myself two things. Get rid of your ego, <laughs> number one. And number two, work with people that trust and respect you. I think one of the most difficult lessons I learned was I thought that things had to be difficult, that you had to put in the work, that you had to get abused in order to be successful. And that's not true. It creates this really unhealthy relationship um, with your client base, and then it kind of becomes the norm. When I finally you know, grew out of that and grew a set and believed in myself and saw my value, I completely changed how I operate with my clients. And it's like, if you don't trust me, if you don't want to listen to the advice that I'm giving you, why did you hire me? This is absolutely pointless. So if you want to do something your way or you don't like what I have to say, I respect that. And you can go work with someone else who will, you know, carry out your narrative. And I've found that when I've been strong in my position and I've shown the data to back it up, most times I get what I want. And if I don't, I'm totally okay with letting it go. So be okay with letting bad business go if it's not it might not be for you anyway so and then the that. respect thing yeah so i love that know your worth and, and stand up for your worth exactly awesome. it's probably you know the confidence thing in this business especially because you really need thick skin um and in new development because I don't know what the new development scene is out there, but there's no emotion in development. It's all business. You're not dealing with end users. You're dealing with people who are looking at the bottom line. So if you're messing with their bottom line or you're not transacting quick enough, then you're going to get an earful. And it's not like working with sellers. It's a completely different type of communication. Totally different. They're not attached to the property. It's in very any cutthroat. Form. Exactly. They're, they're attached to the bottom line. They're not attached, like a seller who's like, oh, I raised all my kids in this house. I just can't sell it. You know, that's one end of the spectrum. And you've got developers on the other end who are just like, just sell my product for the most amount of money in the fastest amount of time. That's what I need. Exactly. Exactly. I love that. Hey, real estate rock stars. This is Aaron Muchastegui, and I'm interrupting myself to bring you this commercial break from one of our sponsors. And I know, I know you guys would much rather listen to the content and not the ads and not the sponsors, but this is one that I'm actually super, super excited with. You know, so many of the realtors that we interview on the show 
They talk about how much systems are important and how much follow-up is important. And I'm really, really excited about our new sponsor. There's somebody I've been looking at for a long time. And when they reached out to me, I said, yes, we have to be able to do this deal. So that sponsor is Follow-Up Boss. You know, on an interview last week with Agent Mark McGuire, I asked him what his favorite software and what his favorite system was. And he said it was Follow-Up Boss. And then he went on for another three or four minutes to talk about why Follow-Up Boss was the best CRM he uses. So there's a lot of superstars out, out there that use Follow-Up Boss. Some of the stats they gave me, Robert Slack, 1.5 billion team in Florida, number one in the US. He uses Follow-Up Boss to get a 400% ROI on its massive paid lead spend. Deborah Beagle, co-owner of the Ashton Group in Nashville, uses Follow-Up Boss to guarantee the agents who join her team get two homes under contract in the first 90 days. That's a big guarantee for new agents. Barry Jenkins of the, your friends in real estate uses Follow Up Boss to automate everything so his team can produce 200 million on 25 hour work weeks. All right, so here's an offer. You guys are gonna get this special for being Real Estate Rockstars listeners. Now I've, I've used Follow Up Boss. We've actually used it in our non-real estate businesses as well because it's so good at being able to set timers, set automatic texting and emailing, and what do, what do you know, best name ever, Follow Up. So here's what we got. For Real Estate Rockstars listeners, you get a 30-day free trial. That's normally 14 days. So in order to get this, you go followupboss.com forward slash rockstars. So again, followupboss.com, just like it sounds, forward slash rockstars. Go there, get your 30-day free trial, and check it out, especially if you aren't using any systems or any CRMs yet. This will be a great one for you to start with. All right, everybody, thanks again. Now back to our show. All right. So um, talk to me. You mentioned earlier you had some a new uh, punch list tool that you were using. Oh, this thing is that. amazing. Um, so before I discovered punch lists, which is, which is an app that you can download in the app store, I have an Apple phone. I think that this is also available for Android, but I really don't know. Um, but it's called punch lists. And if you're in new development or even if you're in resales, everyone has to do a punch list before you close. So with new development, because the unit has to be delivered new with no material defects and nothing is an as-is condition, the punch lists are incredibly important to a smooth transaction. So the punch list app has basically simplified it. So instead of just putting blue tape everywhere, which is great for the contractor. Right. This allows you to take pictures, make notes, and create like this really beautiful PDF for punch lists. It is incredibly easy to navigate. And what used to take me an hour to put together a punch list, because I would have to take my notes, my pictures, create a Word document, and all that stuff that isn't fun. I can do it as I go. And it literally takes 10 minutes. And then you can forward it to the client, and it's really professional. And it just saves a ton of time. That's awesome. So anybody who's dealing with any sort of new construction should use that. Absolutely. Punchless has saved my life. I've literally had all my agents adopt it. And anybody that I've told has said to me, thank you so much for introducing this to me. It has saved my life. That's awesome. I love <laughs> yeah. that. I know my daughter just bought a new house and I walked over there, I don't know, maybe a couple of days ago and she's still got blue tape everywhere. <laughs> yeah. The blue tape is sometimes up a little bit longer than we all want it to, but Work yep. in progress, right? Yep, <laughs> totally. So let me ask you a hard question. See, see how you like this one. What sure. failure have you had that you look at today as a successful learning experience? It's actually a really great question. Um, and there's one experience that sticks out to me beyond all others. Um, and this has to do with my, my ego. So back in the day um, when I was an admin, 
I went to go work for a very big real estate agent. And my uncle was the manager of the office. And my uncle told me, do not take this job. You are going to get fired. It is literally the track record of this agent. Don't do it. And I was like, no way. I can do it. I'm smart. I'm not going to get fired. This is going to be amazing. So, you know, six, eight months into it, I get fired for something that wasn't my fault. (laughs) And legit, not my fault. (laughs) And uh, I was devastated. And at the end of my exit interview, I asked, you know, what could I have done differently so that I don't make these same mistakes in the future? And I was told, you just don't have what it takes to make it in the business. That one liner was the fire that in my soul that fueled me to want to be successful. I was like, oh, really? I'm not, I don't have what it takes. I'm going to show you. And that's when I lost all my ego. And I was like, wow, okay. These things happen. I just got fired. I need to make an adjustment. And I went to Brooklyn. I learned everything I possibly could about co-ops, condos, rentals, you name it, so that I could be the absolute expert. And because when I went to Brooklyn in 2008, the market had just crashed, if I wasn't an expert, I was not only a new agent, but I was uneducated. So I needed to learn everything. So, you know, being fired was probably the best thing that ever happened to me. That's awesome. It gave me so much motivation. So probably in the, yeah, probably in the back of your head all the time, you have someone saying you can't make it. I'm like, thank you so much for firing me. Cause now I teeter back and forth between number one and number two team in Brooklyn, like every other year. So I guess I did have what it takes. (laughs) What an amazing story. That's awesome. So tell me a little bit about, um, what's your number one source of business? Where does that come from? Oh God, you're probably going to hate this answer. Um, but referrals, uh, I've been in the industry for 15 years. Um, and I don't do much prospecting anymore, although I'm going to start doing it just, you know, to keep up with everything. Um, I have a very loyal group of developers who consistently build. So I do a number of projects with them on a yearly basis. And when that project is finished and there is success there, they often introduce me to someone else and then another person after I finish that project. So I've been very, very fortunate um, that people call me and, and offer me business based on you know the book of business that I've already conducted. That's amazing. But how long did it take you to have that start being your number one source? Five, six years. Yeah. Five, six years, I'd say. And honestly, five years is probably the average time it takes somebody to build a book of business, unless you're coming from another industry and you have, you know, access to buyers and people who consistently need to be shifting around. Um, So like, I find that anybody who was in fashion or somebody who was, you know, modeling or in acting, they have a really good sphere for this industry. I was 23 years old. I did not know anybody. So it took me a good five years of, you know, heels to the ground, lots of failures, lots of con calls um, until I finally had someone give me how were you intentional about and how are you to this day intentional about, intentional about getting those referrals from people, getting a name? Um, so I'm very, I'm very, very precise in how I launch projects. I'm, 
I make sure that there's all the marketing material, that everything is presented, that it's unique, that each development has a story, that there's specific copies. So the presentation um, and also the staging is something that I do in-house has is been very well received by the public. So it's very easy to get calls from developers or to have somebody refer you when you launch a building and you sell it out in a week at full ask concessions. So my prior performance is imperative to my future business. Okay. So yours is basically coming because of word of mouth, because of the amazing job you did for the clients. It's not so much you going back to past clients and saying, Hey, who do you know that might oh, also no. sell? They're just, your, your reputation is getting you the business. They'll call me and be like, Hey, I think that you should work with this person that you guys would gel. So it's actually, it's the opposite. They're consistently saying, Hey, you did a really good job. I want to do right by you. I want to introduce you to this person, but it's very rare that I ask my clients like, Hey, can you introduce me to someone? Okay. I like that. I like that. Mm -hmm. So tell me, um, if you could give one piece of advice to people in the real estate industry right now, what would that be? That you have to have thick skin and not take things personally. You know, we're the buffer. We're supposed to be the calm. We are supposed to get rid of all the emotional aspect to when a buyer, a seller, or a developer communicates something to you and is very frustrated. You have to take that really mean message and change the narrative so that you can communicate it in a way that is non-adversarial. And what I find is that you know, sometimes it's really difficult to differentiate between anger or frustration being directed at you versus anger and frustration of the situation. So I could be on the phone with a client and I could be getting screamed at, but I'm not really getting screamed at. It's just the client is at their wits end and I'm the person that they're venting to. So I would just say, try not to take things personally and try to understand the other side of the situation because more often than not, if somebody is yelling, it doesn't really have to do with you. Yeah. Be the calm, right? Yeah. Be the calm. Be the calm. We can, we have <laughs> agents that'll jump in and like make the situation worse or they yeah. can make it. Don't, don't yell back. Like I had a situation once where one of my clients called me up and he, he was so frustrated and he's like, we have to do this now. We have to do this. We have to do that. And I was like, can we just take a step back? Cause I'm really unsure why you're speaking to me like this. I was like, we had a timeline and I'm following the timeline. So did something change that I need to expedite the timeline? Is there something happening behind the scenes that I don't know about? I was like, cause I can help you if you tell me what's going on and the client straight up apologized there to me on the spot. He was like, you're right. I shouldn't be taking this out on you. This is what's going on. I need your help. And I'm like, see, isn't that better? And you got that by asking <laughs> questions. Instead yeah. Of and I'm just like, questions. Hey, what's the matter? Like what's going on? Talk to me. We're a team. I love that. I mm -hmm. love that. So tell me one thing you've learned in the last couple of years in this crazy market, the whole COVID thing, a lack of inventory. What have you learned in this market that we have been dealing with? My own worth and what I'm willing to put up with for mental sanity. Um, I think my work life flow has changed for the better in terms of like working smart. Um, I figured out a, a much better process. Um, I've also I used to be a little bit of a perfectionist and I think that it used to come off in a micromanaging way, which is not necessarily healthy. So I've adopted 
um, new ways of working with my team, either, you know, delegating responsibility or letting people just spearhead things um, without like heavy uh, monitoring. Uh, and since I've done that and really let people kind of carry the baton and make it their own, I've seen my team grow and thrive. And at the same time, I feel more valued, they feel more valued, and I actually get some time off from work because there would be times like where I wouldn't get any time off for like six or seven weeks. And now I'll be working on certain projects where I'm like, okay, you're on this week and I'll be on next week. So when I come back from the week of working other projects, I'm excited to come back to this project. So it's not only created a better work-life flow, but it's also created more enthusiasm because you're not in the same place every day doing the same thing. I love that. So a lot of agents struggle with leverage. And I heard you mention you, you had to let things go and let people just do the things. How did you get over that hump where you're like, I need to be involved in everything and I need to make every decision to... I have people that can make decisions and they might, might not make the exact same decision I made, but whatever they made, it's good enough. How'd you get over that hump? So I got really, really lucky. Um, my sister had somebody working, uh, actually Hugh, working uh, for her. And she called me up one day and she was just like, you got to talk to this guy. He is so intelligent. Um, I don't see any growth for him here. And he would thrive working for you. And to be honest with you, until I had the operations team that I have now with Hugh and Marie, it kind of opened my eyes to how different um, we could run the team. So you know, although I've had a lot of success over the course of the last 15 years, I feel like right now is the first time I've had a team that truly operates at the speed that I've wanted it to. And the people who are surrounding me now, as silly as this sounds, I don't even have to ask them to do anything. They know what I want before I know what I want. So I feel very fortunate and lucky that the group that I'm working with is just an incredible group and we all gel very well. So the people that you choose to surround yourself with, they give you the confidence to believe in them. I love that. How have you found yourself changing as a leader as you've had to lead these people? I found that when I give them more leeway and I let them do things with their process, but obviously with guidance, there's just so much more excitement. They feel so much better about themselves because on a lot of big teams, the one thing that, or at least I experience or hear feedback with is that they don't really have the opportunity to be themselves. Like they're not allowed to fly. You know, they, they're, they're governed by like very strict rules and how to operate. So, you know, I treasure the fact that each and every one of my team members brings something different to the table. So, you know, together we together we can accomplish more than like the individual agents so valuing their individuality i think has allowed them to shine far more than when i had all these rules in place so it's just really cool to see them all come out of their shell that's awesome and as a leader it's like the best thing you can ever have is a bunch of people that are working with you that are meeting all their own personal goals and being able to contribute on on their own personal level to this exactly. overall greater good. And just for example, like um, 
I love it. Like I get random texts from my team members. Sometimes like I got one from one of my team members the other day that was just like random texts. I just wanted to let you know, I love the work that we do together. And I really love being on this team. And like, people don't have to do that. Like they don't have to placate me or send me silly messages. Like this is genuine. And it's just nice that someone's taking the time out of their day to send me a little note to tell me how happy they are. I so, love that so much. You actually mentioned in your onboarding form that your favorite podcast episode was um, building a value-based real estate company. And it sounds to me like what you're saying is that's where you've gone, is you've gone to, I want people that align with my values that get 100%. Me all going in the same direction. Exactly. And you want to know what? I forgot who told me this or where I got it from, but it's definitely some motivational thing where they say like, surround yourself with people that are just as smart or smarter than you. Um, because it's just going to allow you to challenge yourself and continue to grow. So I've gone and done that. And ever since I've done that, I've learned so many new skills and I've learned how to use all this new technology and camera and film things that I never would have ever thought of doing because these are interests that my team members share. So and, I've and learned a lot of new th stuff. Part of that cool. was what you said, letting your ego go. You yeah. can't be like, I'm the best at all the things and no one can teach me how to do anything. If exactly. I actually, yeah. I actually don't have a hierarchy on this team. Um, I don't know if a lot of people are going to think I'm crazy when I say this, um, but in an effort to make everybody feel valued and to let them know that, yeah, sure, I'm the team lead, but I value all of them because my agents have been with me like anywhere between five and 13 years. So there's longevity there. Um, I adjusted all the splits uh, in 2022 that everybody is 50-50. So if I bring it in, you bring it in, it doesn't really matter. We're all the same. We all work together. And uh you know, it, it doesn't create an, any animosity or like resentment over splits, like where people feel like they're working too hard or they're not being compensated enough. So ever since I've done that, it's just been a world of a difference and it's actually our best year yet. So not only have the agents sold far superior on the listings than they have other years, but they're doing so much more of their own business. That's awesome. That's yeah. incredible. Yeah. So tell me, what does this year look like versus last year for you guys? So if all goes right and the stock market doesn't crash and we don't have a recession, we should be on track to do somewhere 5 million or north of 5 million in commission. That's an you, incredible What business. is that in sales volume? I forget. Uh, it, it depends, but something, I don't have a neat projection. 5 million in sales volume is going to be around 250 million. About 250 million in sales volume and about 5 million in commission. Yeah, that's incredible. Mm -hmm. that's and last awesome. year... I mean, we're probably doing at least a million and a half more in commission than last year. And we did 183,000 or 89,000 in sales volume last year. So far superior to um, 2021. What do you think your number one way to succeed is this year? What have you found the most beneficial for you guys to do? That's just like, yep, that's, that's doing it. That's the secret sauce. Besides the data, really being there for my agents and supporting my agents, whatever they need. We have a marketing team. So if they want custom collateral, if they want to do videos and make reels, they have access to all of that. So we'll create reels for them. We'll create collateral for them. For example, I have an agent on my team who um, 
in her in her past life was into art curation and historical society. So we're going to be doing this reel about like, well, what is landmarks? And we're going to talk about all the different types of houses and the brownstones and differentiation because um, these are the things that she's passionate about. And because she's passionate about them and it's applicable to real estate, this is something that can help her gain attention for getting new listings. Awesome. So just supporting my agents and their passions and how it kind of intertwines into real estate because honestly, I feel like everything <laughs> intertwines with real estate. Anytime I go out anywhere, people are like, what do you do? I'm like, oh, I don't want to tell you. <laughs> we're going to talk about it for hours. <laughs> it's just like meeting up with a doctor. and the- Yeah, they're like, oh, so how's the market? How's this? How's yeah. that? I'm like, fantastic. Yeah. Everybody, everybody's one thing that everybody's interested in. I don't know anybody who's not interested in something about real estate. Oh yeah. That's why I'm always like, well, what do you do? Tell me all about it. Yep. And they say they're a doctor and then you start telling them all the pains you have and all, you know, <laughs> oh, can you look at this one weird thing on my back or yeah. something weird? Like this headache for like three days. Why do people like, do that? It's so creepy. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So you said your business was mostly list side. Um, how have you been able to compete though on the buy side for multiple offers that have been going on? How have you guys, what have you guys done? I don't, I'm the one who's in the driver's seat since I'm the listing agent, everyone brings me the offers and uh, I'm the one who's guaranteed the sale. So, you know, buyers are great. I work with them on referrals, um, but it requires a lot of trust and respect. And, you know, there's been a lot of times where I've elected to work with buyers and they ghost me or they buy something on their own or whatever. And even if I was doing a seller job. So, you know, being a listing agent has just been much more fruitful for me because we're a very transactional team. We do a lot of volume. um, And being a listing agent allows me to do a lot of volume because you have so many buyers that are coming into one property versus one buyer who has to look at lots of properties. Okay. So as a listing agent that does a lot of listings, what do you like to see? If you've got agents that are bringing you offers, what gets them more likely to have you take a second look at their offer or a third look or really get their offer under contract with you? So Honestly, it's the broker or the buyer who listens to me. I am not going to pull your chain. I'm not going to give you incorrect advice. For the most part, when I'm working in a building, there's anywhere between four and 70 units for sale, often having similar lines or like kind price points. So if we have multiple people bidding, I'll give guidance. And if they don't listen to me, that's up to them. But for me, my goal is to sell all of the units at premium prices, not just have everybody bunch up and try to bid up on this one unit. Because while bidding wars are very nice, they can be very problematic sometimes, especially if the comps don't support it. And with the state of the market right now, we've seen offers that can be anywhere between like 10 and 30,000, uh, 10 and 30% over the asking price. So if you're a buyer and you're putting 10 to 20% down, your loan to value might not work out when you get to the appraisal. So if you have a low appraisal and I give you a mortgage contingency and you're bidding that high over the asking price, I'm just going to end up back on the market. So I'm going to look for high offers that have high liquidity. If you're putting 30 to 50% down and you want to make me an over asking price offer, I feel much more comfortable knowing that there's safety to um, bridge the gap of a low appraisal. Um, appraisal contingencies, meaning that you know they want a mortgage contingency if they're not qualified for whatever reason, but if the property appraises for lower, they'll make up the difference. So that's always something that I like to see. Um, 
don't ask me for mansion tax over a million dollars. It's your choice to buy the property over a million dollars, not the sponsor. Um, so please don't ask me for that. And don't be egregious in asking for closing costs like mortgage recording tax. That's also another fee that as a buyer, you're choosing to finance. So that's a fee that you should incur because of your selection. So if you make me offers that are reasonable, then that's that's probably the trajectory that I'm going to go down. But when you come and you brokers who are aggressive and like the other day I had someone come in and make me an offer like 17% off the asking price and I've sold every unit in the building at the asking price and I called up the broker and I'm like do you really want me to submit this just so I could tell you you don't have a counter yeah I was like because if this is your offer I don't think this is the right building for you yeah interesting yeah all right so what's the number one way that you sell a house for more money or a development for more money what do you guys do to make sure you're getting top dollar for all of your properties so I have a very unique advantage in that respect because a lot of my clients that I work with, um, I either sell the land too, and I help create the floor plans and the finishes based on the demographics because our team is very into micro trends um, and neighborhood to neighborhood and understanding that what might work in Williamsburg is not going to work in Park Slope. So you can't like apply the same metric to all different neighborhoods. Um, so we do a lot of due diligence. If there's any historical factors about the house, then we try to incorporate those historical factors. Like if there's any ceiling medallions or crown moldings or fireplaces and old townhouses, we try to restore them. So because we're so hyper-focused on the demographic, it's very easy for us to craft floor plans and designs that are going to be in line with the market. And when I have the opportunity to get involved that early, it almost always turns into a quicker sale. That's awesome. Listening to the people, knowing what the people want, watching the trends, taking the data. Yeah. It's you not know. what I want. I'm a crazy person. I have like a cheater carpet and all this other stuff in my house, but like, that's not how I'm designing <laughs> new developments and projects. Right. I can be objective and say, Hey, I would never ever put that here, but I totally understand why this would work in this project. Yep. You're appealing to the masses instead yeah. of like trying to I'm not building it for me. I'm not even building it for the developer. I tell my clients all the time. I'm like, are you going to live here? <laughs> no. <laughs> They're like, but I want this. You're like, it's not I don't care house. what you like. This isn't for you. I'm like, do you want me to make you money? I'm like, or do you want me to make you something you like to look at? That's funny. <laughs> I love that. All right. One last question. Sure. Do you have any predictions for the market? What's the market going to do here? Oh. You've been through a slump. Like you've I been, mean, you've you're been asking me such a loaded question. So I'm going to make it very specific <laughs> to okay. my area. Um, I do think interest rates are going to go up to 6%, maybe even creep past 6% because they're anywhere between 5.2 and 5.5 on certain 30-year fixed mortgages if your interest rates are below you know, certain numbers. I mean, I'm sorry, your credit score is below certain numbers. Um, but Brooklyn as a whole has been really healthy. You know, we haven't seen any foreclosures in the last two years because of the pandemic. So, you know, even with a healthy market, we're going to start seeing that again. You're going to start seeing foreclosures. The courts are going to open up. So I think there's going to be a lot of interesting things that happen um, because land prices have gone so high for new development and because cost of goods have gone so high um there's gotta be a give like land prices have to go down for new development otherwise it is not feasible for developers to build projects here um for example you know i think it was like aluminum and wood are anywhere up between like 100 and 300 percent demo is three times more expensive than it used to be so if you're paying so much for all of these things plus there's delays with the departments of buildings and shipping issues something has to give so whether it's the interest rates come down at the end of this year which i don't think the fed's gonna be ready to do because they just increased them so um 
I do think there's going to be a lot of opportunity for foreclosures, distressed land, and hopefully better acquisition prices. That's awesome. Well, I lied because I'm going to ask you one more question. No problem. Ask away. (laughs) So you lived through the recession. What's one thing you learned from the recession that you're going to use if the market turns even slightly? If you know what you're doing and you keep pushing forward and you use data and you learn from your mistakes, there will always be successful good brokers in bad markets because when there are bad markets, if people are going to list, they're going to go to the best. So those people will do well regardless. Mic drop. Mic drop. If I, if I could always, drop my mic, my mic is on a tripod. <laughs> there's always good agents, even in bad markets. 100% and true. Actually, here's a better one. Bad markets make good brokers. Good markets make bad brokers. It's true story. Because it's so easy to sell. And then when it gets hard, everyone's like, what happened? What do I have to do? To- yeah. But if you make it through hell, like 2008 to 2010, and you can come out on the other end, you can get through anything. You can get through anything. that is so awesome well thank you so much for joining us today you've been fantastic of course it was a pleasure if anybody's looking for land acquisition development in brooklyn they can give you a call absolutely with you jessica peters awesome and hopefully you'll continue to listen to the podcast and we will hear from you maybe again soon in the future yeah that would be lovely let's stay in touch all right awesome thanks so much thanks for having me have a good day Bye. bye All right, real estate rock stars, this is Aaron Muchastegui jumping in again to thank you for listening to the show. Hopefully you guys loved listening to that one and I wanna make sure that you know about all of the extra resources that we have and also we need your help. They say podcasts are free. You get to listen to podcasts for free, but what is the cost of that podcast? I would say if I could beg you to pay anything for that podcast, I would say the cost of the podcast is going and giving a review. So whether you download it on Google or Apple or YouTube or anywhere else, please go give us a review. Say what you liked, what you didn't like. It helps us get better guests. The more reviews, the higher we get in the rate rankings. Right now, we are the biggest podcast out there for real estate agents, and we want to keep that spot because we know there's lots of podcasts out there. So go give us a review. Also, be sure to go to hybendigital.com. If you liked any of the resources that those real estate agents talked about, We've got a huge video vault of those resources for free. Every punny that comes on the podcast that we interview, they give us something that helps them get their deals or helps them work with their clients. And we put that in the toolbox in our vault for you. So go to hybendigital.com and you can get it. If you're looking for real estate education, go to rebusuniversity.com. We have all sorts of courses in there to help agents succeed in real estate. How to get the listing, how to negotiate deals, you know, how to become an investor, all sorts of different stuff rebusuniversity.com. And if you want to chat with me, go find me on Instagram. If you come find me on Instagram, you can send me messages. Tell me what you want to hear. Tell me what you liked, what you didn't like. We try to put a bunch of content out there too. You can find me in two different places. It's at rerockstars.com for our Real Estate Rockstars page or at erinamuchastegui.com for my personal Instagram page where I can chat with you about all sorts of different things. Thanks for listening. We'll see you again soon. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.